Gonzaga most likely will not be in a new conference next season, but the WCC has two new teams coming for them to battle in 2024-25, and one of them is looking like a pretty darn good get for the conference. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by GameTime. Folks, download the GameTime app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. Well, it is Valentine's Day, and it is also WCC Wednesday, and we're going to discuss some conference midseason award predictions. We're also going to talk about the coaching moves that could happen this offseason, how many of these coaches are going to be back next season in the WCC. But first, we're going to lead the show talking about two teams that are not quite in the West Coast Conference yet. That would, of course, be Oregon State and Washington State, the two left remaining schools in the Pac-12, the Pac-2 now, as it were. They are joining the WCC for the 24-25 and 25-26 academic athletic seasons. That is in all sports outside of football and baseball. We've talked about this a handful of times on the podcast. It's not new news. I think this was initially reported in late November, early December, somewhere around there when this first kind of came to uh, came to our attention that it was going to happen. But Washington State in particular has been having a phenomenal season on the court for Kyle Smith's team. They have been really, really good. They won eight of their last nine games. We're going to talk about what this could mean for Gonzaga because the likelihood of Gonzaga being in the Big 12, the Big East, some Pac-12 Mountain West amalgamation uh, next year is virtually none. It's just it's not going to happen that soon. There is a absolutely a possibility that conference realignment conversations pick up again over the summer, that they pick up in part because the SEC and the Big Ten are meeting in secret and people are starting to kind of panic about that a little bit. We addressed that briefly on a mailbag question. I do think that there is still a very real possibility that within the next calendar year, from mid-February to mid-February, Gonzaga is announced in a new conference. I don't want to be having this conversation as if we're kind of dismissing any future realignment conversation for Gonzaga. It still might happen, but it's not going to happen next year. We know that. There's just no way logistically that that could be turned around in that period of time. It's not going to happen. So Gonzaga will be a member of the WCC in the 2024-25 school year, academic year, athletic year. So too will Washington State and Oregon State. And right now, Washington State is having a pretty darn good year. And in fact, they got more votes in the AP Top 25 this last week than Gonzaga did. They are more secure at most bracketology reports than Gonzaga in terms of their spot in the NCAA tournament. Uh, this is a team that that is going to really challenge Gonzaga. They're going to challenge St. Mary's. They're going to challenge San Francisco. And they're going to be a, a premier program from the men's basketball perspective and from women's as well, we can get to that momentarily, but this is going to be a team that really pushes Gonzaga in the WCC. And 
it's not getting a ton of attention because it came out during the season already. And of course, a lot of the attention about Gonzaga has been a, the struggles they have had this season, which is justified and b the potential for them to no longer be in the WCC and whether this move is going to make Gonzaga more or less likely to try to jump ship, et cetera, et cetera. But at this point, as the dust settles on this move, this is going to happen. Gonzaga and Washington state are going to be in the same conference next year. And feels like an appropriate time, especially with Washington State's recent momentum, to really have this conversation. Because the Cougs are they're 18 and 6 on the year. They are 9 and 4 in conference play. And they're in second place. They're in second place. The Pac-12 has been bad. Do not get me wrong. Everybody celebrated the Pac-12 having a phenomenal final year for football. They did not do that in basketball. There's a very real chance the Pac-12 gets three, three teams in the NCAA tournament. Realistically, it could be two. That would be unlikely, but it is possible at this point with the way this conference is playing. Colorado doesn't look good. Utah does not look good. Oregon does not look good. Washington State is the second best team in the Pac-12 in the standings. Then they had two losses in the non-conference. Those were to Mississippi State. And interestingly enough, Santa Clara was one of the two losses they took. So already getting some familiarity playing each other. Obviously, Santa Clara picking off that game is one of the better wins on their resume at this point. Uh, the Washington State started the Pac-12 season 0-2 because their first two games were at Utah and at Colorado. And look, I'll tell you right now, those are really hard games. Those two teams are fine. They're not great. They're fine. Colorado's been a little underwhelming this year considering the talent that they have. But it's hard to go on the road to those mountain area schools and play. Anybody will tell you that. So Wazoo finishes the non-conference with that loss to Santa Clara, starts conference play with these losses to Utah and Colorado. They beat Oregon State. They lose to Oregon. And since then, they've won eight, eight of their last nine games. They have been on an absolute heater over the last month, six weeks or so of college basketball action. Their only loss was at Cal, which is a unique loss to take. Cal's not particularly good, uh, but it is, they're better than they've been in the past. Shout out Mark Madsen, their head coach over there, for, for doing a good job getting that program going back. But Washington State beat Arizona in that time. They beat both Colorado and Utah at home. They beat USC, which... Frankly, just about everybody has beat USC at this point. They beat Oregon at Matt Knight Arena in Eugene. That's a tough win. Oregon hasn't been great this year, but they play pretty well at home. And Washington State going on the road and picking up that win while also having beat Arizona and all the other wins that they have, this team has started to kind of get some really serious attention. They received, like I said, a lot of votes in the AP Top 25. They had 82 total votes in the AP poll. That puts them 30th. Gonzaga was 33rd. They got 50 votes. 32 more votes went to Washington State than Gonzaga this last week. And I'm not here to compare their resumes necessarily. I think Wazoo, that both teams deserved to get at-large consideration. Both teams just missed. I think they were kind of right in that similar spot. But I think that highlights what we're talking about here. It's a down year for Gonzaga, sure, but Wazoo's right with them. They're 41st in Ken Pop. Now, Gonzaga's higher than that. I think Gonzaga's 19th as we're recording this right now. But they're a top 41, almost top 40 team in Ken Palm. They are a top 40 team in the net. They're 40th on the dot, four and three in quad one games. That's three more quad one victories than Gonzaga has on the season. They're four and two in those quad two games. They do have a quad three loss, which is hurting them. If I'm not mistaken, I think that is the Santa Clara game that is that quad three loss for them. Uh, perfect in quad four games. But this team has been quietly very solid this year. And really, they've been solid in the Kyle Smith era. And that's another fun intri in like intrigue, interesting wrinkle in this. Kyle Smith was a longtime head coach at San Francisco. 
He coached that team. He did really well there. He got this job at Washington State. Todd Golden took over. Todd Golden, of course, led the Dons to the NCAA tournament, is now coaching at Florida. And now, of course, Chris Gerlofson in his second year as the head coach for the Dons. Interestingly, the latest Joe Lenardi bracketology has Washington State safely in the field as an at-large bid. They are a nine seed. The eight seed that they're playing in Lenardi's latest prediction, Florida. Todd Golden versus Kyle Smith would be an incredibly fun matchup of former head coaches at the University of San Francisco. Odds of it actually lining up that perfectly, pretty slim, but the fact that it's even being projected that way is a strong indication of A, the great job that Kyle Smith has done as the head coach at Washington State, the great job that he did developing coaches underneath him, and really just the incredible pipeline that excuse me, that San Francisco has had. Chris Gerlison, we'll talk about it later in the show, there's a real chance he ends up a power six head coach in the next half decade as well. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him get uh, to get an opportunity to coach uh, at a, a potential, maybe a Big Ten, Big East, some other kind of school uh, outside of the WCC. If he chooses to, you, of course, got to make that choice. And San Francisco is a perfectly fine place to continue coaching. But it has been a really good tree of coaches that have come out of San Francisco. And the job Kyle Smith has done at one of the most difficult power six jobs in the country. I know they're not really in that power six conversation anymore, hence joining the WCC, but in a small little town, Pullman, Washington, out in the Palouse, it's tough to recruit there. They lose talent in the transfer portal all the dang time. They lost so many of their best players last year. TJ Bamba goes to Villanova. They continue to rebuild and reload and continue to have success. Tremendous job that Kyle Smith is doing. Wanted to shout out the Cougars because they're going to be in Gonzaga's conference next year. That rivalry between those two schools, about 75 minutes apart from each other, really close. They didn't play each other for a long time because Gonzaga didn't feel they were getting anything out of that rivalry, that that non-conference rivalry. Well, guess what? Now it's a conference rivalry, and they're going to get something really fun out of it. I think it's going to be, if assuming they're both stay in that conference for the next two years, I think it's going to be an absolute blast to see these two teams square off. Uh, we don't really have time to go over the Oregon State aspect of it, but frankly, Oregon State's not very good. They are still fifth, I think, or sixth. They would be sixth in the WCC if they were in the conference also, if Washington State was in the conference at Ken Palm, they are higher than LMU at net. They are also slightly higher than LMU. That puts them behind Gonzaga, St. Mary, San Francisco and Santa Clara, as well as, of course, Washington State in this example. But Oregon State's not a great team, but they would be a middle of the pack team in the WCC. I'm very curious if Wayne Tinkle will hold on to his job. He got a long, big extension after that incredible run to the final four that the Oregon state team went on, I think in 2021, he has done legitimately nothing since then. So I'm curious how long he'll hold on to the job. Fun fact about Wayne Tinkle, his daughter, Ellie Tinkle was a star at Gonzaga. So he's got some connections to the school uh, for Oregon state. Their impact is far more going to be felt on the women's basketball side where both Washington state and Oregon state are very good, but on the men's side, Washington state will make a big impact. Oregon state, unless they turn things around, not so much. Still going to be great to have another game to go to in the Pacific Northwest for me personally, about an hour and 10 minutes away to go down to Corvallis. So I know a lot of PNW area Zag fans are looking forward to that as well. We're sticking with the WCC. We're talking about Graham EK. Is he still my pick for WCC player of the year? We're also going to talk about whether the conference is going to snub Anton Watson again. All of that coming up after a word from today's sponsored game time. Sometimes family events are best when they are planned in the spur of the moment. And for that to work, you need game time. 
because Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. And with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, and views from your seat, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. We're under a month away from conference tournaments. If you're looking to try to get yourself some tickets to the WCC tournament, Game Time is the perfect place to go. Even if you just wanted to go for a game or two, it is perfect for that type of event. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Right now, the Game Time users who use code Locked On will get $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. All right, folks, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zags podcast, still celebrating, not Valentine's Day, but WCC Wednesday here, and I want to do some more award predictions. We did this right at the start of the conference season. We're kind of in the middle, a little past the midpoint of the conference slate for the West Coast Conference, but I want to give my predictions, and these are, I want to be clear about this. This is who I think will win the major awards in the WCC. That's player of the year, newcomer of the year, sixth man of the year, defensive player of the year, and coach of the year. This is who I think will win. In some cases, it is also who I would pick. In some cases, it is not. And I will try to address that when it comes up. But last time I did this, I kind of was trying to do the same thing. And I got a lot of, well, why do you think this? Why do you think this? So this is who I think the conference is going to pick. And we can talk about whether I agree with my my whether I agree with who I think the conference will pick or not. First question was WCC Player of the Year at the beginning. I picked Graham Ek, and guess what? Stick it with it. Still think it's going to be Graham Ek. He's averaging fifteen point three points, seven point two rebounds, just under an assist per game, shooting about sixty percent from the field. He is fifth in the conference in points per game, sixth in the conference in rebounds per game, second in field goal percentage. And mainly it's because I don't think St. Mary's has a very good candidate here. The, these awards typically are given to the best team in the conference. St. Mary's has a two-game lead in the WCC. They're probably not going to lose that. They're probably going to win the WCC regular season. The worst-case scenario for St. Mary's is probably a tie for the regular season championship. But I don't see a really strong candidate for WCC Player of the Year coming out of St. Mary's. Here's a good example. I think Anton Watson is probably, I think there's three strong candidates for WCC Player of the Year. Jonathan Mobo from San Francisco, and then Graham E.K. and Anton Watson from Gonzaga. Anton Watson, who I have is like the second or third strongest candidate here. He is currently averaging more points, more rebounds, more assists, more steals, and more blocks per game than Aiden Mahaney. He also has a better field goal percentage and a better three-point percentage. Yes, the volume of attempts is significantly lower for Anton Watson on three-pointers than Aiden Mahaney. But he is beating him in every major statistical category. EK doesn't have him in assists, as you would imagine, but that's about it. I think I think Mahaney has him in steals, too. But otherwise, Graham EK has him in every major category. So does Jonathan Mobo, by the way. Every single category except three-point percentage, Jonathan Mobo is beating Aiden Mahaney. Individual statistical accomplishments are not the only way this award is selected. They do often select the best player from the best team, and that's it in which case this award would probably go to Aiden Mahaney. But I do think there's enough of a statistical difference between Graham E.K. and Aiden Mahaney, between Anton Watson even and Aiden Mahaney, between Jonathan Mobo and Aiden Mahaney to potentially not have the award just blanket go to Mahaney. Having said that, if St. Mary's wins by two plus games, it would be unusual 
for them to not get the player of the year. I just don't see how it could go to Augustus Marcellonis or Mitchell Saxton or Joshua Jefferson. So it's just, it's a unique situation we're in where we're facing a potential likely scenario where St. Mary's is the definitive runaway winner of the regular season, but doesn't have the player of the year. I think Graham's the likely candidate if it's not somebody from St. Mary's, but I'd like to acknowledge that that often is the way they go, even though I don't see a candidate in, in my mind, statistically, who should win this award. The next award is WCC Newcomer of the Year. If I think Graham E.K. is going to win Player of the Year, I'm not also going to award him Newcomer of the Year. This is my effective way of awarding both Jonathan Mobo and Graham E.K. an award because Jonathan Mobo, Ken Palm right now, they have the five best players in the conference based on his, you know, his advanced metrics. Mobo's number one in the WCC. Anton Watson is number two. Graham E.K. is number three. Augustus Marcellonis, interestingly enough, is number four. And then Mitchell Saxon comes in at number five. Mobo has been incredible for the Dons. A revelation. 8.7 boards per game at Missouri State. An average, okay player in the Missouri Valley Conference. Kyle Bankhead recruited him, said, hey, I saw this kid when we were at Abilene, and he was really good, and I think that there's some untapped potential there. Chris Gerlofsson said, yep, I'm with you. Let's bring him back over here to the Bay, and boom, 15.5 points per game, 10.5 boards, 3.5 assists, as well as about two steals and a block per game, 67.3% from the field. He is doing a little bit of everything, averaging a double-double, averaging 3.5 assists per game. Two steals, a block, 67%. I mean, think about those numbers. That is just ridiculous levels of efficiency. They're playing their offense through him. They're getting the ball at the top of the key and operating kind of like Gonzaga used to operate with Drew Timmy. It is a tremendous, tremendous testament to the coaching staff at San Francisco to identify this player, bring him over, and unleash his potential in the way that they have. He had a 30.18 rebound game earlier this year, a guy who averaged eight and seven in the Missouri Valley Conference. It is worth reiterating that point. I think Mobo has a fantastic argument for defensive player of the year as well. But if again, if I'm going to slot him in here, he's not going to win two awards. The WCC could give him two awards. I'm just not, for sake of conversation, I'm not going to pick anybody to double up on awards here. So if EK were a player of the year, Mobo slots in as newcomer of the year. For defensive player of the year, this is where we're going with a gale. And part of the reason is I don't think St. Mary's gets just completely held out of any of the awards. So, and I will get to coach of the year. It's not going to be a shocker there. If St. Mary's wins by two or more games, they're probably going to get coach of the year. But I just don't see St. Mary's just not getting any of the player awards if they win this conference by the, the margin that they could conceivably win this conference. Unfortunately, the way this is shaping out, that would leave Defensive Player of the Year as the most likely award to go to a Gale. And I say unfortunately because that's where I think Anton Watson gets snubbed yet again. I think Joshua Jefferson has a very real chance of winning Defensive Player of the Year for the West Coast Conference. Not necessarily saying I think that he should, but he has an 86.1 defensive rating, according to basketball reference. That leads the WCC. Watson is seventh. Jefferson is also top in the WCC in defensive box plus minus. It's not my favorite stat to evaluate an individual player's defensive impact, but it does matter. And he's first in that category. I think Watson is sixth or seventh as well. He's the third highest steal rate in the WCC, 1.2 steals per game. He gets a decent amount of blocks. Joshua Jefferson is a dang good defensive player. Last year, Kyle Bowen won this award in the WCC. Jefferson's pretty similar. 
He's more of a four than a three like Bowen was, but he's a rugged on-ball defender. He's a good help defender. He's got active hands. He knocks the ball away. I don't think he's a better defensive player than Anton Watson, but I think there's a real possibility if the awards shake out the way that I have predicted up to this point, that they don't continue to give most of the awards to Gonzaga players and they instead give this one to a player from St. Mary's and Joshua Jefferson at the expense of Anton Watson. Part of this is because I also have Gonzaga winning the last player award on this list, which is sixth man of the year, because it has to go to Braden Huff. There's just no debate at this point. This is the least debatable one in my mind. Tyree Bryan from Santa Clara, Ryan Beasley from San Francisco are the only other two players that I thought, oh, maybe they're both averaging, you know, I think like eight, seven, eight points per game. Braden Huff's averaging 11 points, four boards, half a block, half an assist, 15 minutes per game. His two-point field goal percentage this year is 72.9%. He is nearly making three-fourths of his two-point attempts. He's up to 33% from three. He had that monster game against Kentucky. Braden Huff is the best sixth man in the country, or excuse me, in the WCC. Probably not in the country, but in the WCC, unquestionably in my mind. That award has to go to Huff. If EK and Huff are both taking home individual awards, I have a hard time seeing St. Mary's not sneak in at least one of those player awards, again, potentially at the expense of Watson. And like we said, Coach of the Year is going to go to Randy Bennett. Chris Gerlison, I think, has an argument for it, decent argument for it, frankly, especially if they win that other game and, and bring the conference within a game. If they're within a game of St. Mary's and they finish second, San Francisco might deserve it. But Randy Bennett's probably going to win it. And honestly, he probably deserves it as begrudgingly as it is for me to admit that. Well, speaking of coaches, last offseason, we saw zero coaching changes in the WCC. Everybody ran it back for at least one more year. Will that be the case again this offseason? We're going to discuss that and more after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 in your pocket if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players, your former Zags in the NBA, and teams. All you can use quick bets. You can use the live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. And I'll just continue to say it. The Gonzaga women's team remains at 24,000 to 1 odds to win the national championship. I saw what they just did without Yvonne Ejim. Yvonne is back. She's a national player of the year candidate. She was recently named to that watch list. Finally, thankfully for her, I think this team has a very legitimate chance. $5 bet and it's 1,200 bucks. 1,200 bucks if it hits. I think that is well worth it. If you are with me on that, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to shoot your shot. FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NBA. All right, closing out today's show, continuing WCC Wednesday action here. We're going to take a look at the 10 coaches, excuse me, the nine coaches in the West Coast Conference, how likely we think they are to still be here next year, and what, if any, coaching changes might end up happening as we look ahead to the 2024-25 season. We'll start with Mark Few and Randy Bennett. Not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Mark Few has, it's, he's not even in rumors anymore. They finally stopped I saw a few people on the Kentucky subreddit who were like, oh, maybe we should bring, like, okay, a few deranged people still think Mark Few might be going somewhere. He's not. The next place Mark Few is going is retirement. When that happens, I have no idea. It might be, it, that, that, that may not be that far down the horizon, but he's not coaching anywhere else. Randy Bennett, same thing. Randy still shows up in, in more of these conversations than Mark does. 
I've seen people say, oh, maybe Stanford will hire him. Like, why would Randy Bennett leave St. Mary's for Stanford? It's just, it's not going to happen. Randy Bennett is locked in where he is. These two coaches not going anywhere. Let's talk about the other seven. Chris Gerlison's next, 20 and six on the season, nine and two in conference play for the Dons. And I could see this. I could see power six schools looking at him. How could we not with Todd Golden's success at Florida, with Kyle Smith's success at Washington State? With San Francisco having a phenomenal year in Coach Gerlison's second season, the way he navigated the transfer portal to add a player like Jonathan Mobo, to add a player like Malik Thomas from USC, to add a player like Mike Sheriff Johns from Dayton, to add that kind of talent. He's got a good freshman class in. Ryan Beasley is a true freshman. He's playing great basketball for this team. The development of players from year two to year three, Marcus Williams having a phenomenal year. They develop players at an exceptional rate. They recruit players at an exceptional rate out of high school. They add transfers that perfectly fit what they're trying to do. It is really hard for me to not see a power coach giving Chris Gerlison a chance. Here's the deal. Chris Gerlison beat three power six teams this year, and all three of them might have coaching changes this offseason. That's Minnesota, where Ben Johnson has been a disappointment. That is DePaul. Tony Stubblefield already got canned at DePaul. They're going to be looking for a new replacement this offseason. And then Vanderbilt. We'll see if Jerry Stackhouse can hold on to his job. They only got one win in the SEC. And yet Chris Gerlson beat all three of those teams. Those athletic directors were watching those games. They saw him. I think all three of those are realistic places that Chris Gerlson could, could land. I also think it's possible that he sticks around for another year or two or three, either because he doesn't love the options he's getting and he thinks if I stick it out for a few more years, maybe I can land in the SEC with my buddy Todd Golden, maybe because the, the schools are still like, eh, we're going to go try to find somebody else like a Dusty May or like a Josh Schertz or Darian DeVries at Drake or somebody else who's having a really successful year who has a bit more of a track record at the mid-major level. I could see both those things being true, but it also would not shock me if somebody like Minnesota or DePaul is like, hey, we're not finding any other options. We think you're a great coach. We want to bring you in and, and have you kind of take over this program, and he might consider it. Next up's Herb Sendek at Santa Clara, 15-10 and 10 on the year, 6-4 and four in the conference, and he's part of a group of coaches, three of them, where I think they're kind of planning to just write it out. Herb Sendak has been through the coaching ranks. He got his first job as the head coach of Miami, Ohio in 1993. He has taken three different teams to the NCAA tournament in Miami, Ohio, in NC State, in Arizona State. I think he would love to take Santa Clara to an NCAA tournament so he can say he's done it at four different schools. But I don't think he's looking to jump ship. He's 61 years old. He's already had a lucrative, lengthy, successful career. And he's doing really good stuff at Santa Clara. They're a transfer portal additions. Brandon Pajemski last year, Adama Ball this year, have been phenomenal. This year's not quite going according to plan, but he's not going to get fired. There's no way Santa Clara would fire him. And I don't think he's going to be a realistic candidate for any other major jobs, or is he planning to leave? And most of those same things can be said for Steve Lavin, 15 and 11 for the Toreros this year, five and six in conference play, much better than I thought they were going to be in year two. I just, I don't think he's clamoring for another job right away. I don't know if he took the San Diego job kind of just to ride into the sunset. He was tired of, of do, doing the announcing thing and he decided, hey, I'm just going to go back to coaching. I'm going to be, you know, go to a place I love and, and coach it out at, at San Diego. Maybe that's what he's planning to do. Maybe he is hoping to get back into the power six level ranks, but I don't think anybody's going to hire him after this year. They're doing better than I thought. Let's not a discredit him as a coach this year. 
but I think it's going to take many more years or at least a couple more years of sustained success for this program. And success is better than just being a game below 500. It's got to be a little bit better than that for him to potentially get another job. And then to close out that kind of cycle of coaches writing it out, it's of course, Lorenzo Romar at Pepperdine, 10 and 16 on the year, three and eight in the WCC. Romar's not going anywhere. He's a respected alumni. He, he fundraises really well. He lands talented players. He has incredible relationships around campus. Nobody is firing Lorenzo Romar. I mean, I promise you it's not happening. And yet nobody's going to hire him either because he didn't, have, he, didn't, he didn't win basketball games. He didn't win basketball games at UW. He's not winning basketball games at, at Pepperdine. He can, he can add talent. He can add talent. Pepperdine has talent even this year after they lost some of the other pieces that they've lost in the last couple of years, like Maxwell Lewis, like Colby Ross, et cetera. This year, they still got Houston Millette. He's fantastic. Michael Ajayi has been very, very good for that team. Javon Porter was considered one of the best NBA prospects in the entire conference. They're still not winning games, but they're adding talented players. They're a watchable product. He's beloved on campus. He's going to be there until he retires. Next up, Stan Johnson. Stan Johnson at LMU, 3-7 and seven in the WCC, 10-14 and 14 on the year. I had thought that Stan Johnson might be a candidate to spend a couple of years at LMU, keep the program consistently in the top three or four, and maybe move on to another job. Not looking like it this year. He had to rebuild a team that lost a ton of talent from last year via the transfer portal, via graduation. And that's hard to do. But guess what? If you want to get better jobs, if you want to get hired by a power six program, if you want to move up, you got to do it. You got to be able to prove you can do what he failed to do. He added good players. Dom was a good addition. They've made other solid additions in the transfer portal, but they're not winning games. So I don't think that LMU is at that point yet. I think Stan Johnson rides it out for quite a bit longer. And I think if they can consistently kind of push towards the top of the conference, maybe he could get another job in that regard. But right now, this was a, a kind of a big year where they needed to show that they could continue to win even after having to rebuild their roster. And he hasn't been able to prove that just yet. A couple more to close it out, Shante Leggins at Portland and Leonard Perry at Pacific. We'll, we'll start with the Pilots and Coach Leggins, 3-8 and eight in the conference, 9-17 and 17 on the year. It's been a rough year for the Pilots. Expected to be better. They signed Shante to a long extension. He was very good in his first year. I think the, the community is just so dang happy that he's not Terry Porter, that they're winning games at all. They didn't win basically anything when Terry Porter was the head coach. So I think there's just a lot of like excitement that this team is better that they're competing more, that they aren't just completely going to fold against every team in the conference. But this year has not been great. I still think Shante is a promising young coach, but there's still some stuff that needs to be proven. Consistency from a recruiting perspective. Half or not half, but some of the good players on this team can't follow him from Eastern Washington. Tyler Robertson is a great example of that. What happens when those guys are gone? Can he prove he can bring in talented players? Tyler Harris, who did not play against Gonzaga, excellent player. Excellent freshman addition. That is the kind of player that you hang your hat on as a coach. Having said all that, I'm not sure I see it for him. If Wayne Tinkle holds on for a few more years, I've always kind of wondered, would it be possible for him to take that Oregon State job? I think there's maybe, maybe something there, but uh, right now I don't think he's ready to take a bigger job. And then Leonard Perry at Pacific, to, in my mind, the most likely coach to not be here next year because Pacific's going to have to fire him. They're three and 20, sorry, six and 20. On the year, they're 0-11 in the WCC, one of the biggest fallers from the Ken Palm preseason ranking to where they are currently at. With literally one of the most disappointing teams in all of college basketball using Ken Palm's preseason expectations. This team is terrible. And I know they competed against Gonzaga, 
but that was a lot more to do with Gonzaga than it was to do with Pacific. Leonard Perry has to go. And look, this is a really hard place to hire. It is a really hard place to coach, to recruit. I get it. Pacific doesn't have a lot of great options, but I just don't think you can keep rolling out the guy who who hasn't even picked up a win yet in conference play. So for me, I think there's maybe two changes potentially, depending what happens with Chris Gerlison. But ultimately, I think there's a real chance that this conference has eight of the same coaches next year, minus Leonard Perry at Pacific. And then, of course, we'll also add in Kyle Smith and Wayne Tinkle with those new programs joining the WCC in 2024-25. It's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. We will be back getting ready for that game on Thursday against Dominic Harris and the LMU Lions. We'll get a preview of that game, what we're going to be looking for, and then we'll get you ready for the weekend. And, of course, Gonzaga's second game against the Tigers of Pacific, all coming up later this week. Uh, Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on YouTube if you have not done so yet. Join us on our Discord channel. It is free, and there is a link in the show notes. You can come hang out with us 24-7. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, As always, go Zags.